Behavior issues, discipline problems, classroom chaos. Does it really matter what you call it? When behavior is out of control and kids men, it's a problem. Let's talk about how to address it today on the Pinhead Kids Men podcast. I have always liked teaching, but classroom management hasn't always been a strong suit of mine. I'll highlight this with a story from my personal life uh, when I was younger. It's a little bit embarrassing, but it's a true story that I think highlights my struggles with classroom management or managing classroom chaos within a ministry setting. Uh, When I was 26 years old, I worked at a private Christian school in town, and I really liked teaching. I liked everything about it. I liked the students. I liked daily being able to invest uh, in the students. I taught Bible and a few other other, uh, subjects. Uh, There was a student named Kayla that really just knew how to get away with a lot of things. And one day she told me, she said, Mr. Brent, you know what? We shouldn't call you Mr. Brent. We should call you Mr. Doormat because everyone walks all over you. This did not make me feel very good, uh, probably because it was disrespectful and also probably because she was 100% right. But I tried to reason in my head, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm just a people person. I will woo them with great content and just uh, great lecturing and fun activities. And if I do that, then the kids eventually will settle down and we won't need to, I, you know, I won't have to be a disciplinarian. Well, this came to a head one day because uh, I was talking and lecturing and uh, the students were kind of laughing and smirking, and I, the more that I was talking uh, about the Bible and teaching my lesson, uh, the more they were kind of laughing, and I was really getting into it. I thought if I just get into it more, use more inflection in my voice, then they'll pay attention. And then, finally, they just were starting to laugh so hard as a ripple of laughter went across the class, and I glanced up at my uh, whiteboard behind me that I hadn't looked at, and I probably hadn't looked at it since lunchtime, and it was written on the whiteboard, Mr. Doormat. And all the kids had started to notice it and laugh while I was teaching. And I realized, yes, I have a problem. I do not have good classroom management skills. I am letting the kids walk all over me. And so over the years, I have tried really hard to get better at managing what I call classroom chaos. I am not perfect by any means um, of that, but you know, this experience for me really highlighted, okay, I do have a problem. And why why do I have a problem? And maybe you will resonate with this. Some people don't have these same afflictions as I do, but I think a lot of people working in kids ministry struggle with this. You know, we want people to like us. We want people to have fun. I tell myself all the time, and I do think for the most part, this is a good principle. I want the kids to enjoy coming to class. I want them to really, really want to come back. I want them to uh, tell their friends about it. I want them to tell their parents about how awesome it was. So the parents want to come back to church or whatever class or event you're having the next week or whenever the next time you have it is. But I have found over the years that no one learns has fun, or likes to come back to class, or an event, or a small group, if it is littered with chaos. 
Now, when I say classroom chaos, I am defining it as when participants, and in this case we're talking about kidsmen, when kids' behavior, it doesn't matter what it is, it could be loudly talking, it could be run, you know, fidgeting, it could be not following what the lesson is, it could be hijacking the class. But when the participants, or the kids in this case, behavior disrupts the purpose for the class. And, you know, classroom chaos, when the purpose is disrupted, it can be dangerous, even physically, you know, if you don't have good guidelines or rules and the kids are getting out of control and they're playing a game or something like that, kids can get hurt. I've had, you know, several kids, luckily and fortunately, by God's grace, no kids have gotten seriously hurt, uh, you know, but... One time, you know, there's whereas was one one group of kids messing around, and we have what we call carpet balls with pool balls. Uh, you throw pool balls, uh, you know, you throw the cue ball and try to knock the other person's pool balls into the gutter, and uh, they were throwing them extra hard, and they were not rolling them; they were bouncing them. And one ball bounced up and hit a kid and knocked his tooth out. And that's probably the most serious injury that I've had under my watch of kids' ministry. But it just knocked his tooth out. So, you know, when rules aren't followed, physically kids can fall. They can run into each other. They can, I mean, you can have pool balls and they can knock kids' teeth out, you know, if you're not careful. Also, it's dangerous in the sense that if you have classroom chaos in your kids' ministry or your children's ministry, you can get a bad reputation for sure about not being able to have control. Um, and, you know, like I said, no one wants to come back or gets much out of a class if it's ruled by chaos. And so I believe that this is an important issue of managing the classroom chaos. Uh, it's an issue in every kids' ministry, and it can be so discouraging when you are dealing with the children uh, that are out of control or won't pay attention. And I've noticed over the years, and I've experienced all three of these firsthand. I'm not saying like, hey, listen to this podcast. I figured it all out. I've never struggled with this. Like I said at the beginning, this is an ongoing improving area, hopefully, or area of improvement in my ministry. But it's so important. That's why I'm doing this podcast uh, about this. But there are three main re ways that people deal with or respond to the classroom chaos one of them is to get angry or upset you know if a group is behaving poorly long enough the leader whether it's a volunteer or a staff member has finally had enough and becomes angry and tries to regain control it may be yelling it may be kind of slamming your head hand on the on the table being a little too rough with the kids. And I think this will happen every time uh, that if, if, if that bad behavior or classroom chaos is allowed to continue, you know, if you're a person that holds it in, you know, it's, a sci it's actually scientific. When you energy, or in this time frustration, and it builds up over time and it's not released or not dispersed, then what happens? If you have energy contained for long enough, it explodes. Right, And so frustration builds up more and more, and then explosion! And some leaders have a higher tolerance of frustration, but everyone has their breaking point. So that's one way that classroom chaos can affect the leaders, that just frustration and anger and maybe be... Um, you know, be an explosion at some point. Uh, the second way that I've noticed that people try to address classroom chaos is ignoring the problem. 
I guess maybe some leaders feel like, and I've tried this. Like I said, I've done all these. I've, I've responded to classroom chaos all these three different ways. That's why I know uh, how they feel and, and that there are, there are problems. If you try to ignore the problem, maybe like a kid is just doing this to get attention. So let's just ignore it, and it'll probably just go away. But in my experience, when chaos is ignored, it typically gets worse, and the leader gives up. And a third way that I've seen and I've done, but I've seen this really consistently, is when there is a either small group time when a leader has classroom chaos or someone's trying to teach a lesson and kids aren't listening or whatever you're doing, leading worship and they're not participating. A, a very common thing is for leaders to blame themselves. And if you blame yourself, then you start thinking, I'm not a good enough teacher. I must not have been doing a good job. And... Maybe even, I'm not cut out to work with children. And none of these three ways to handle the chaos or outcomes of these ways that people handle the classroom chaos are ideal. In the first example, kids don't want to come back to class because the leader is frustrated. You know, you might get phone calls or emails from parents when the kids go home and say, my teacher yelled at me, you know, and it's hard to undo some of that damage at times. You know, uh, the second way, if you just ignore it, the children get away with the behavior and it will most likely won't stop. And the ministry, uh, you know, you may even lose valuable uh, volunteers if that's a volunteer per leader uh, to, that works with kids. Uh, you may lose them because they're just ignoring it. It's getting worse and worse. They ignore it. They don't say anything and they just kind of just slowly say, hey, I'm just not going to do this anymore. Or, number three, obviously, if a leader starts uh, to blame themselves for the bad behaviors, uh, or when they start to blame themselves, the bad behaviors persist, and leaders are frustrated, and a lot of times you'll get leaders that will quit from that too, because thinking, I'm just not good enough to work with the kids, or this isn't my calling. And so we're trying to, to have this podcast to try to cut down on some of those negative fallouts and how to deal with uh, the classroom chaos. And I'm pointing out the obvious here. It is obviously best to address behavior issues in a class or a small group proactively. This means having a plan before the class starts and before problems arise. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, today. So how do we do this in an effective manner that doesn't seem hostile or setting the tone of the class negatively? I mean, no one wants to be the teacher that starts the class by saying, sit down, be quiet, or sit down, shut up, and love Jesus. Now we're going to learn about God's love, so you better like it. It doesn't sound very loving. It's not the tone that we want to create. Uh, You want children and if you're working in kids' ministry, this is really true. Your heart is for kids to want to follow Christ. You want them to learn God's Word. And you want them to love coming to class, and you want them to want to come again and again and again. I think that this is best done when classroom chaos is eliminated as much as possible. And to do this, I think that it's a good idea to strive to apply four main principles that should be used when working with children. The four effective principles to managing classroom chaos are number one, communicate expectations. Number two, uh, have, create a creative structure for the class. Number three, cultivate consistency or follow through. 
And number four, call on others. Those are four C's that I that I came up with that I've used over the years that I think help immensely. So principle number one, communicate expectations. I heard uh, somebody at a conference say this once, but I think it's really, really good advice. When you're setting expectations, and it doesn't matter if it's a if you're teaching in a school or if you're teaching you know a children's church or a Sunday school class or if you're leading a small group time uh, or just one or two uh, one or two kids that you're you're working with, you need to tell them what you want to tell them, ask them what you told them, and then tell them what you told them. So they get the expectations three times. And so a lot of times people will have classroom rules or, uh, you know, guidelines for, for what you want or expect for the, the class to, uh, operate under. And so it's important whenever you can. And I would say every class time, because, you know, especially if you're working in a church, some kids don't come every single week. They may come twice a month or once a month. You know, and they forget what's expected if those expectations aren't relayed to them. So you need to tell them what you want to tell them, ask them what you told them, and then tell them what you told them. And I am not a fan of a lot of uh, classroom rules. You know, some classrooms I'll come in there, they'll say the 12 commandments of this class, you know, kind of. Uh, funny to have 12, but that's a lot of rules, you know, or 10, the top 10 rules or that kind of thing. I usually, and I, you can use this if you want to, uh, it's just a, something that I've developed over the years. I usually operate under three general, but typically effective rules for any class. And the rules are number one, when it's time to be loud and have fun, you must it's not an option. You must be loud and have fun. And I say it just like that. When it's time to be loud and have fun, you must be loud and have fun. Why do I say you must be loud and have fun? Well, because some kids don't need to be told they must be loud and they want to be loud all the time and they want to run around and have fun all the time. But I want, like I said at the beginning, I want all the kids that come to anything that I'm in charge of in kids ministry wise or leading, I want them to have fun. And also, there are some kids that don't like to participate. So it kind of sets the expectation of, it is an expectation, and we say it in a positive way, you must be loud and have fun, but you must participate is basically what that rule is saying. Okay, So I typically will say, when it's time to be loud and have fun, you must be loud and have fun. And then rule number two, when it's time to be quiet, learn and listen, you must be quiet, learn and listen. And that is kind of the opposite of the first rule. So it sets the expectations. You must participate. We want you to have fun. We want you to, when it's, when it's appropriate, we want you to be loud. We want you to have those times where you can get energy out. But also, on the flip side, when it's time to be quiet, learn and listen, you must be quiet and learn and listen because no one's going to learn anything on that time. That's those times where we need to communicate knowledge or look at God's word in a specific way. We need you to be quiet, learn and listen. And then number three, the number three rule is the one I probably have the most fun explaining because it's the most basic. Number three is if you need anything, ask a helper. Well, what I'll say when if I'm communicating this, especially if I'm communicating this in a large group setting or a classroom setting from the stage or from the teaching position, is 
If you need anything, if you need to go to the bathroom, if you're singing a worship song and all of a sudden you think, oh no, I gotta go pee-pee. If you didn't get your coffee this morning, and usually it's with, you know, first graders or second graders or third graders, so they kind of laugh. But if you didn't get your coffee this morning and you want your triple, uh, you know, espresso latte cafe mocha frappuccino from Starbucks, you can't, unless you ask for permission, you cannot just go hitchhike down the road down to Starbucks and buy, you know, buy a coffee. Or if you want your Red Bull, you know, and all these kids don't drink Red Bull or coffee and it's kind of a humorous thing, but anything, if you want your Red Bull, you can't just run out to the gas station next door. You have to ask an adult or ask a helper. And that kind of gets them laughing, but also realizes that, you know, they can't just run out of the class or they need to ask permission, you know, to, to get something or to go get a supply or that kind of thing. And then after I tell them all those rules, I'll ask them to repeat it. Okay, does anyone remember what rule number one is? And it's time to be loud and have fun. You must. And then have them say, be loud and have fun. If you've done this many times, you can have somebody come up on stage and say, hey, what is the three rules? And they can say it. You can give them a reward or that kind of thing. And rule number two, when it's time to be quiet, learn, and listen, you must. And have them repeat it. Be quiet, learn, and listen. Okay, and then if you need anything, if you need to go to the bathroom, or if, like we talked about, you need a donut, or go to Starbucks, or anything else, you need to ask an, and they'll either say an adult or a helper. Okay, and so... Then, you know, I'll quiz them on it. So basically three different ways, uh, communicate the three different rules three different times so they really sinks in. Uh, You know, another thing that I've helped with developing expectations, so if you could develop those expectations every time, they understand what is expected of them in three easy rules. But also in a large group setting, if if you're the teacher or lead teacher, I think it's, it's fun. You can set the, the tone of fun and reward and expectation with this little trick that I learned. And I remember this trick uh, actually uh, from elementary school. We had a stop sign on the back of the of the gym where we ate lunch. It was actually in the gym, but I'll say the lunchroom. It was at the back wall of the lunchroom. And if we were getting a little too loud, they would uh, go from green to yellow. And then if we were getting even louder, we go from yellow to red. And if it was red, we couldn't talk. It was a silent lunch. Okay, so that's where I got the idea from. But I usually, I don't have, uh, it would be a good idea. And I guess you could make a stop sign and do that in your class. But I usually like to give the kids rewards to earn treasure. I always say we have treasure boxes in almost every one of our classrooms. So we want to give the kids a reward when they leave, either from learning their memory verse or... Uh, you know, doing well in class or we just, I like to, I like to reward the kids for good behavior and also get them excited, you know, go to the dentist or if you go to a doctor, they have it, sometimes they'll have a treasure chest or just a basket, a sticker, you know, something that, that gives them that excitement. So I will get, if we, sometimes we use candy, sometimes we use trinkets. It doesn't really matter what it is, but I will do the same thing basically as that stop sign philosophy that I learned that I I had when I was in elementary school, but I will take like, you know, a green lime Tootsie Roll and put it on the stage or put it on a, on a, on like a tray or something like that. They can see off the stage and then I'll get like a yellow piece of candy 
and then I'll get a red sucker. And I'll ask them which color they are, and I'll say, what color is this? They'll say green. Okay, and then what color is this? Yellow. And then what color is this? And some people will say pink. Some people will say red. So be prepared for that. But it's red. And so I'll say I will go into this whole thing about I'm going to teach you how to drive. And this works, I think, because it throws them off. Because they're thinking that I'm going to be, I just talked about the rules. They think that I'm going to be talking about expectations, which I am, and what I'm expecting of them. But then I say, I'm going to teach you how to drive. Okay. And so I do this and they really get into it. uh, Oddly enough, I'll say, if you're going down the street and you see a green light, what does that mean? And they'll say, go, or you can call on someone and say, go, or keep driving or go through the intersection. Like, great. That's exactly right. So here's a green. And then what does yellow mean when you're driving? And some people, this is really interesting. A lot of adults maybe don't even know this. I learned this in driver's ed. But yellow actually doesn't mean slow down. It doesn't mean stop. It doesn't mean any of those things. It means clear the intersection. It means if you're going pretty fast and a yellow light comes up and you're halfway or you're getting you're getting up to that intersection quick, you're supposed to continue on through the intersection. You're clearing the intersection. If you're far away and it goes to yellow, you're supposed to slow down so you'll be in front of the intersection so you don't clog the intersection when it goes to the red light. And then I'll show them the red candy and I'll say, you know, what do you do at a red light? And they'll say, stop. I'm like, yes, because if you get to an intersection and it's a red light, you must like hit the brakes, you know, because you're going to cause a wreck. Bad things are going to happen if the other one of the other side has a green light and you're going you're going to get into a wreck. And I'll say, this is what we're going to do in class. If if I have to get after the class or I have to say, OK, we need to not we need to stop talking. We need to listen. If I have to do that, I'm going to take the red candy away and then we're going to yellow light, which means clear the intersection or use caution. And I say, you better really use caution, you know, and maybe we'll just like kind of, kind of maybe we're in front of an intersection and the yellow light comes, we'll just kind of hit the brakes a little. Let's just think about what we're doing. And then if I have to warn the class again, I'll take the yellow one away and then we're on the red. And I'm like, that means stop. And if we lose the red one, then we're not going to get any treasure and no, no one, no one in the class is going to get any treasure for learning their memory verse or good behavior or anything like that. We're just going to take the rewards away from today because we can't follow the rules and we have too much classroom chaos. We have too much going on. And this works amazingly well, you know. Um, another trick is if, there, if you have a consistent problem. Now, I will not take three candies away from a class typically if only one of the kids is, is doing it. I don't want to, you know, the whole class to suffer just from this one kid. Uh, you know, so if that's uh, happen, you know, if that happens, I, you know, it helps to know who you're dealing with. So before you get started with your lesson, uh, you may have to say, if you're going to get in trouble with a person that you're sitting next to you, then I, I'll give you a free pass. Before you get in trouble, I want you to move right now. It's amazing sometimes how kids are like, yeah, I really like you, but I'm really going to talk to you, so I'm going to move. I'm going to get in trouble. So kids will move on their own if you, you know. Uh, don't be afraid, I don't think, to call out kids uh, by name and just say, hey, Jimmy. Uh, you know, I see you're talking there and you can be in front of all of them. Hey, can you, can you be quiet or do you need to move? 
you know. Uh, I also have found that it helps to get rid of some of the classroom chaos, uh, especially during large group or teaching time. If you have some chairs at the back of the room and you can call the kids and say, hey, you know, that's the first, you know, I've warned you once, you need to go back and sit in a chair. And if I have to warn you again, you're going to have to go sit back in the sit back in a chair and not be up with your friends or that kind of thing. But I think it's important as much as possible. Uh, I don't mean this in every aspect of life or, or every decision when you're teaching or doing kids ministry, but I like to give the kids a choice. So would you like to be quiet and sit next to your friend or sit in the chair in the uh, sit in one of the chairs to the back? And believe it or not, some kids will be like, oh yeah, I want to sit in the chair in the back. And typically during typically during our large group time, our teaching time, that kind of thing, we don't have kids sit in chairs. We have them get in groups. Uh, we have squares or something for them to sit in or color lines or that kind of thing. But we don't typically set up rows of chairs in our large group time and have them all sitting in a chair. But some kids need a chair to sit up straight and to not fidget and that kind of thing. Um, Another question you can ask them or choice is, do you need to find a different spot to sit? Or, you know, can you can you pay attention where you're sitting? Because sometimes, you know, there might be a pillar in the way or they can't see the screen perfectly and it causes them to not pay attention. It could be any of those things. Uh, you know, you can also say what you expect them to do. And you can be kind of outlandish, but these are all things that kids have done in classes or small groups that I've been leading before. Uh, you can say, it's not okay to punch. It's not okay to fall over and pretend like you're having a seizure. We're not going to throw markers. We're not going to you know, wad up papers, those kind of things. So setting those expectations are really uh, important. I think it's also important for us to understand, and this is for leaders, children's pastors, volunteer leaders, anyone that works with kids, okay? We see these kiddos, especially if you're working in a church setting, in a ministry setting, you most likely only see these kiddos one to two times a week. Now, if you're working in a daycare or something like that, you have the kids most of the day, all day, you probably can change a lot more of their behaviors, uh, you know, the root cause of their behaviors. But we see these kiddos, if you're doing Sunday school or a Wednesday program, we typically see these, these kiddos one to two times a week. You can't change their whole outlook on life, their whole behavior in an hour and 20 minutes a week. You know, if they only come to one thing. And some, some kids, I've already mentioned this, but some families come every other week. So you have a very limited time to be able to uh, change their their total mentality and behavior. But we are responsible, so we, we can't really change a lot of the things if we only see them an hour to hour and a half a week. But we are responsible to, for the other children in the class, for all the children in the class, to having the best time that they can, to learning as much as they can, and to have a class uh, structured in a way that is less chaos, as least chaotic as we can. So we can't change everything, but we can control what those kids experience for that hour and 30 minutes. Uh, if you've been very careful, like I just talked, doing the things I talked about, uh, setting expectations, as well as reward, uh, re are good at rewarding for good behavior and giving them appropriate choices, and there's still chaos in the class, then it is time to pinpoint the pressure points of where and when the chaos starts. And then brainstorm 
uh, ways to anticipate and head off the chaos before it begins. So if you've done your expectations, that's number one. Number two is have a creative structure. And if you've found that a lot of time the chaos in the class starts uh, right at the beginning of the class, sometimes, uh, you know, I've noticed that it's a pairing in groups or where kids sit next to each other. If that is the case, you know, separate the two uh, that get each other going. Be smart about that, how you structure your your groups. If you're putting together small groups or if it's like a VBS, you know, who which teacher is with which kids. If you know there are a lot of friends in a group, you know, give them a pep talk before the class, before there's any issues. If there's a, a group of kids that know each other well, you know, and you know they tend to talk or get each other going, give them a pep talk. Tell them that you want them to be example for the class. Tell them that it's not a time uh, to, you know, totally socialize and get out of control, that we're supposed to have some learning time. And, yes, we're going to have fun, but there are also going to be times to, to be quiet, learn, and listen. Uh, there was a group of kids in one of our Sunday school classes that were very, very unruly. And the teacher took them aside and said, Hey guys, I know you all go to school together. Do you act like this at school? And one brave boy, you know, spoke up and said, absolutely not. They wouldn't let us do that. So sometimes those expectations, you know, lend itself to the results. And they totally knew that they could get away with some of the behavior they were doing at Sunday school that they couldn't do at school, but they were totally capable of, uh, you know, doing what was expected of them at Sunday school. And just just pointing that out to them and having that talk helped their behavior. Um, it is also sometimes effective to include the child in a way that they are getting positive attention. So I'm sure all of us that have worked with kids uh, much know that some kids just want attention and they don't care if it's positive attention or negative attention. They they will get going just so they can, can get the teacher or this leader or volunteer's attention because they need attention. So if that's the case, call the child up on stage. Have them read a, pa a passage of the Bible that you're learning that week or say one of the memory verses they've learned. Uh, have them up when you teach motions during the next worship song or ask them questions, you know, get them uh, involved. You can also, if they don't like to be in front of people but they still need that, uh, you know, that attention, uh, ask them to pass out Bibles or pick up pencils or hand pencils out. Uh, at one camp we had, we had a, an all-day day camp uh, for a week. Instead of doing a VBS, we decided to do a camp that we called Camp Catapult. And we divided up the groups into age groups. And so there were kindergarten and first grade boys. Now, I will never, ever have kindergarten and first graders uh, not with boys and girls mixed ever again because of this experience we had from this ca camp. But the boys' groups were really, really rowdy. And they're all, you know, 12 kindergarten and first grade boys. And the leader there, and rightfully so, was struggling with these boys. They were so active, so out of control. When they would go from station to station, they would, you know, some of the kids would just be like pushing or run away. It was becoming a problem. That leader was becoming really, really, really uh, burnt out. I could see it in her eyes. I could see that she was struggling. And so after lunch one day, I decided to join her group and. Uh, I had an idea. I didn't realize how well this would work, but I had a radio 
I call them walkie-talkies, but our technical director, he, uh, he technical arts director, he always calls them radios. But they're basically uh, two, you know, the radios you can talk to that EMTs use or firefighters use or that kind of thing. And I had one because there were several people throughout the whole camp. It's a very large camp spread out through our large campus of our church. And so I needed to have uh, communication with the EMT. I need to have communication with all the group leaders. And if there's a problem arise, I'd be in charge of taking care of it. And so I just had an idea. I have this radio. I had this one boy in particular that was running off and you just could never count on him to be in the, be in the line to, to rotate to the group or he didn't want to participate and that kind of thing. So I asked him specifically, I said, Hey, I need this radio because if someone's hurt or if some you know if somebody uh, needs me I need to have it right beside me so I would like to entrust you to carry my radio for me but I have to be able to have it if someone calls or if I need to call someone I need to be able to so I need you to be right with the group I need you to be right with me so I if I need the radio it's right there and guess what he never left my side. He was so proud. He was walking taller, walking, his back was, you know, his shoulders were up straight. He had a purpose. He was the radio carer. Now he was a kindergarten boy, but he, he knew that he was having a purpose and that's really what he needed. And in fact, more and more kids wanted to be the radio carrier. So that became a a job for that group is carry the radio. And if they were misbehaving, they couldn't have their turn carrying the radio because we can't trust somebody that is not following the rules or misbehaving because I need to have, it's a very responsible position. And it really changed the dynamic of that group just doing that. So find something to give some kids responsibility. Sometimes that works. Uh, You know, have a variety of activities, of course, hands-on activities. If you're teaching, use stories or quizzes. Um, make sure that you have in your class structure when you're creating a creative class structure, something for everyone. Um, a couple ideas is, you know, especially in small group time, a lot of times I feel like our large group time is fairly under control or not chaotic, but then they go to small group time to apply what they've learned, uh, in certain classes. And that's where kids kind of get unruly. Uh, in small groups, I've had a really good success of using competition or team building, working together. Um, I've used Nerf guns and have uh, have cups out on the table and have and say, "Hey, you, when it's your turn, I'm going to ask you a question about the lesson. If you answer the question right, you can try to hit one of the uh, knock one of the plastic cups off the table." And like the kids really pay attention. They want to shoot their turn shooting the Nerf gun and want to answer their question. And I say, if you can't pay attention, you know, during that time, you're not going to get your, your turn for the Nerf gun. You know, ping pong balls are amazing. Just one plastic cup and a ping pong ball. Give each each kid in your group a ping pong ball and same kind of thing as the Nerf gun, but ask them questions about the lesson. And if they answer it right, they can try to bounce a ping pong ball into the cup and they get a certain amount of points or whatever you want to do with that. Um, it's something very simple. If you don't have a Nerf gun or a ping pong ball, I'll just say put your right hand on the table and if you know the answer to this question or want to answer the application question, uh, you know, the first person that has their hand up will be able to answer. If you get it, you win a point. You know, it, it doesn't really matter what the prize is. Sometimes competition just helps out, you know, but doing that, putting their hand, standing up, putting their hand on the table, and then when they have an answer, raising it up 
is just enough movement for some kids to, to kind of get the wiggles out and them to focus on something that's not, you know, that, and, and they stop creating all some of the chaos. Uh, another really good thing is sword drills. Those are kind of old fashioned, but you get everyone, get a Bible, tell them a passage of scripture to look up and the first person to find it and be able to stand up and read it, uh, you know, wins. And if you're doing, you know, an application and you have to look up three different verses, instead of just saying, Hey, look up these verses, do a sword drill and then read the, the past scripture, talk about it, do another sword drill. It's kind of a good thing. I know I, this, uh, I've noticed, you know, a lot of small groups, if there's girls and guys, especially when the kids are getting older, we separate the girls and guys from the small group, you know, uh, Typically, this is not always the case. I know this might be stereotyping, and I'm not really meaning to do that. But typically, if I'm leading a group with primarily girls or have some girls in it, or if it's all girls, the you know crafty and discussion and sharing feelings and application usually works really well. Um, some of those guys, guy groups, you know puzzles, putting scriptures, you know, just printing out the, the to memory verse and cutting it up and then having them put it together like a puzzle or, you know, like I said, Nerf guns, ping pong balls, those kind of active things uh, typically work. No, so the girls groups like those things too, but, uh, but really what I'm saying is know what works for your groups and give your group leaders lots of variety to make a creative structure for the class. And, you know, sometimes kids are upset because they miss their, uh, miss their parents or miss their people that, that they dropped them off and they're just sad. You know, something that's been good and it's kind of creative, I think to do is if they're missing, uh, their parents, you can take a picture, say, Hey, I know you're missing your parents, but I can take a picture of you and text it to them that you're having fun or you're doing this activity and then they'll know what you're doing. Sometimes that helps. Um, you know, if if they're sad and they want to see their parents, I say, hey, I can text them and give you an update that you're doing well, or I can tell them, you know, send a picture of you, like I just said, and that does a good job. Uh, sometimes the kids relieve the anxiety of missing their parents. Uh, you can also have them make a picture for their parents, or, you know, do you have like, uh, like they used to be called pipe cleaners, but uh, chenille wires, or uh, Walmart sells them, they're called fuzzy sticks, just the you know, the sticks that you can put beads on, uh, and have them make a, make a bracelet or necklace for their mom or dad, or just something for them to do, uh, to kind of get rid of, get rid of some of that anxiety of separating from them and missing them. So, uh, just try to be creative in the structure. So if you have set expectations and are creative, uh, in the classroom structure, then number three is cultivate consistency. And, when I say consistency, I mean follow through and consistency, follow through, that is the key. You can do really well at ex of expressing the expectations for the class and you can also be really creative and have great activities and great teaching and uh, you know, you're thinking through all creative parts of class and if you don't do this third one, they build on each other, but if you don't do this third one, it's really not going to matter because children need to be accountable. We all need accountability, right? We all need guardrails. We all need uh, boundaries for us to do our best. Uh, you know, if I'm trying to do well with my diet, is it a good idea to follow a certain eating plan? Yes, or to journal what I'm eating or to track it on a on a tracking app? It's, it keeps you accountable, you know, uh, 
so children are no different than us. We They all need to be accountable. And we can have the best intentions and schedules, but if we don't follow through, nothing will really work. You know, when I was younger, uh, my, my dad's a photographer, and my mom and dad did wedding photography for my life growing up. Almost every Saturday night, me and my brother and my sister had a uh, babysitter uh, to come and, and be there while they were working. So we kind of got used to this, and I would say, now I know this could be revisionist history because I'm the one telling the story about myself, but, I mean, we were pretty good kids. I mean, we knew that if mom and dad would get in, we would get in big trouble if we weren't good for our babysitters, but we genuinely liked our babysitters for the most part. Uh, Most of our babysitters were super fun. They did crafts with us. They, you know, we watched movies and that kind of thing. Um... So for the most part, we enjoyed a time when the babysitter came over, you know, they play with us and do that kind of thing. But this one Saturday night, and my parents had a wedding to do the the pictures of, and our babysitter was named Lori, and she had babysat us a lot of times. We really liked her. She was super nice, super great. And for some reason, my brother and I, decided I might have been eight or nine. I don't remember exactly how old I was. My brother is 18 months younger than me. So, but we got this wild hair that we were going to be bad kids. I don't think we got together and said, we're going to be bad kids, but we did, you know, misbehaved a little bit and it kind of was fun and it made Lori really upset. And for some reason, like I said, we were mostly pretty good kids, but all kids can can go to this kind of place sometimes. We decided if we we did something naughty or I you know and and all of a sudden it it kind of was fun and she was upset and we were like we just fed off that energy and we like locked ourselves in the bathroom and flooded the bathtub and I remember running into our rooms and throwing all the books out of our bookshelves in our room and just doing everything she told us not to do and we were bad the whole night I mean really 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 bad the whole night until I would say it was probably about 9 or 9:30 and we realized oh mom and dad are going to get home pretty soon and Lori was upset. She was yelling at us. She was trying to put us in time out, but we wouldn't stay. I mean, I don't. I really don't know what got into us. We were really being bad. I mean, I can't paint a big enough picture of how bad we were being. We were trying to do anything we could think of that was, you know, would would make her upset. This was a lot of chaos. And um, but we realized, oh, it's it's getting late. Mom and Dad are going to be coming home, and so. Lori, as she normally did, would start picking up the house before my parents got home, and we started helping her. And we're like, oh, we can put the books away. We can do this. And we got everything put back perfectly because we knew what would happen if we got home, my parents got home, and they saw all the mess we made. And so, and we actually said, okay, we want to go to bed because, you know, we didn't want, uh, you know, my parents knowing we were bad. So we put ourselves in bed, but we did not fall asleep. And I remember uh, listening, and I could hear from our bedroom. My brother and I shared a bedroom. We could hear from the hallway down to the living room. I heard my parents get home. I heard them talking, Lori, my babysitter talking. I remember her saying, my parents saying, how were the kids, you know, how was tonight? And she was, this was not the right thing for her to do, but she was so 
nice. She couldn't talk bad about herself. She was probably she was probably going through all those three ways that people handled the classroom chaos I talked about. She had gotten frustrated and angry, but she tried to ignore us, but that didn't work. And, you know, at this point, she was probably blaming herself. So she told my parents, oh, it went really well. You know, the kids are always good. And typically we were always good, so they would believe that. And, you know, and she started saying, yeah, and we watched a movie. And we, and then she just started bawling. And she couldn't hold it together anymore. And me and my brother were like, oh, no, this is not good. And then she said, well, and then she just blurted out, everything we did wrong they were throwing books they were flooding the bathtub they were you know doing the boys were just being really 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 bad well guess what my parents did they came and got us and took us out and man oh man did we get in trouble and then we had to apologize to Lori. And then Lori didn't, because all, all of the cards were on the table, so to speak, she had t- said everything. She said, I'll never forget this, she, was t- she told my parents that she didn't want to come and babysit anymore for us. And then, with a caveat, unless she could bring her fiancé, uh, to come and we're like oh man because we knew that if we did that with her fiance there that there's no way that we would get in trouble we would get away with that but I tell you that story because we almost got away with that but if we would have gotten away with that if she wouldn't have been overcome by her emotions and cried and my parents realized that we were really bad if we wouldn't have gotten discipline from that I don't think that would have been healthy for us. I think that we would have learned we can misbehave and then at the end clean it up and just ignore it and kind of lie about it and no one will ever know. And that's not a good recipe for life. That's not what we want kids to learn from life. But we did get caught. We did learn from that. I don't remember ever misbehaving ever again for a babysitter, especially like that. You know, but it kind of reminds me of Hebrews twelve eleven, and it says, "No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it." So, think about this: you can have really, really good um, structure for your class, expectations, creative. Uh, activities and uh, you know a lot of things that kids enjoy but if you don't have that follow through if you don't have that consistency to go over the class rules each week and then to follow up on them you know if you don't have any follow through you don't have instruments for follow through then you know a lot of a lot of that stuff won't even really matter and I feel like a lot of uh a lot of times the the kids will 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 the chaos will continue if you don't have the follow through. And one way, there's lots of ways, but one way to have follow through is something I like to use is called the four strike rule. And the first one is a warning, so you warn a child and it, a warning can be warning the children and then also taking that candy away, that getting that from green to yellow candy if like we talked about if you want to do that. You know, uh, and then number two strike, if, a, if one child has gotten a warning specifically and they keep doing the same behavior, then remove them, put them in another chair, set them in another place, talk to them about it. So they've gotten talked to twice. The third 
strike, if they continue to be a problem in class, is to call somebody that's higher up. And I don't mean higher up, like more important, but like if you're a, 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 lead, a leader or a volunteer, you know, call the children's pastor, get a hold of the person in charge, kidsman, director, whoever it is, uh, executive pastor, somebody that is, you know, that could come in, someone different to come in and talk to the child. And then, fourthly, if it continues to persist, you know, you need to call uh, the parent or talk to the parent when they're picked up. And if you do that consistently and have that follow through, parent kids typically do not want their parents to get talked to about their behavior in class, right? Um, so that is how how I like to have follow through and consistency. And that fourth strike kind of brings us into our fourth principle. Principle number four: call on others. So, if you're a small group leader or other type of volunteer leader. Tell the lead teacher of that class that you're struggling, that you don't know what to do. If you are a leader of a class or a department, tell the kidsman director or children's pastor or the, the head leader of the children's ministry or whatever organization you're working with, tell them that you're struggling with classroom chaos. If you are a kidsman leader or a children's pastor, okay, if you're in that role like I am, Take this very seriously. If a volunteer or a leader is coming to you and saying, I'm having trouble with this class, you need to take it seriously. If you ignore it or if you think it's just going to fix itself, it won't. And I will tell you from experience, you will lose children coming to that class and you will lose volunteers. Maybe not right away, but volunteers will quit. Kids won't want to come back to a class that is filled with chaos. It is a big deal. And so don't believe that number, that number three way that I talked about at the beginning that you have to blame yourself if there's classroom chaos, that a lot of people will do that. Please tell someone that you're that that somebody that can do something about it that you're struggling. And if you're that person that can do something about it, please do do something about it. Help give that teacher or volunteer or leader more tools. Uh, more maybe maybe it's creating that expectation. Maybe it's getting a couple more creative uh, options for that time. But make sure there's that follow through, and you can be part of that follow through too when we call on others. Um, if you have to call a parent, or uh, you know, if you have to call, a, you know, a, if you're a volunteer, you need to call a children's pastor or talk to them. You aren't a failure. You're not a bad teacher. You shouldn't have to do it alone. Okay, uh, and also, if you're a, a kidsman leader or a children's pastor, don't be afraid to partner with parents on this. As a parent, I don't want I would I wouldn't want my kids to be misbehaving and not be called on their behavior. I wouldn't want to not know about it. And if I feel that way, then I feel like I have a obligation to tell parents about their kids' behavior if it's a, if it's a big problem, if it's created that classroom chaos. Not every parent wants to hear that. Not every one of those conversations is going to go great, but I think they deserve to know. Um, you know, a lot of times, if you can't talk to the parent right when they get picked up, call them later on that week. If you're upset or frustrated in emotion time, you know, if you're in the motions of the moment, maybe it is best to wait, you know, a day or two to call that parent to talk to them about it. But when you call parents, listen, ask questions, and take notes. 
Don't get a don't don't make them defensive. Just say, hey, you know, we've had a little problem with your child and in the behavior, and please just can you help me understand what makes your child t- tick? You know, we really want them to really enjoy coming to class, and we really want to know some creative ways that we can engage them so they're not feeling like they have to talk out of turn or they don't have to be you know pushing or that kind of thing. You know, ask questions. Don't. You know, don't make parents feel defensive and you'll get a lot of information. Um, You can learn a lot about their expectations when you talk to them. Uh, Ask them things like, has this ever happened? You know, it's kind of crazy. They were just talking and we couldn't get them to stop talking and it really disrupted our small group time, you know, and we want to be able to figure out a way to fix that. Has this ever happened at home or at school? You know, or if they're pushing or they're getting physical with other kids. Has this ever happened at school? If it has, how do they? How has that helped? You know, and the parents will like this because they're they're heard. They'll you know they'll know for sure that you have, uh, you know that they that you they'll know if you ask those questions that you really want to help the situation. And also maybe they'll say, well, yeah, the school has found a perfect solution, and maybe you can implement that at, in your classes that you know so it's more consistent for their whole life, their school and at church. You know, this will speak volumes as to how much you care about the children if you call the parents it's not i know that when you go to call a parent like this there is at least for me some trepidation some fear how are they going to take it you know i get into that negative thought oh maybe i should have done better maybe i should have done something different but every time that i've done this and talked with parents it's been a good experience because they at least know that you care about the the children and you care about the classroom very much. So in review, communicate expectations, have a creative structure, cultivate consistency in that follow through. And if you have to call on others, don't be afraid to use outside people to help get that classroom chaos under control. Okay, these four principles, when followed, will help get rid of a lot of that chaos in the classroom. Okay, so after saying all that, it's time for evaluation for you and for me. Which principle in your kids' men team is most lacking? Is it on how you create that expectation and communicate it? Maybe we just need to go back to basics and communicate expectations. I have to be reminded of that myself from time to time. Uh, maybe it's maybe things have kind of gotten stale, and you know there's things that you know to do, but you haven't been as creative in the activities and the way that the classroom is structured. Maybe it's time to go back and look at that. Maybe it's time to really figure out a way to consistent to cultivate that consistency to have that follow through. Or maybe you've done all those things and you know there is a phone call to a parent you need to make, but you've just been dreading it, putting it off. Whatever it is, let's all together figure out ways that we can make small, incremental movements to having uh, getting rid of this classroom chaos that we all have in our classes from time to time. Um, remember the whole idea of the Kids Men, a Pinhead Kids Men podcast is to move the pin figure out where we're weak and move that pin just make those small changes to make some improvement to get us closer to our goals i hope this helps and uh, we'll see you next time thanks so much